You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, series 9, episode 59. Um, I'm Good John. Um on my own hosting tonight, um, the, the other regulars can't make it, but we do have another special guest, um, Bet Rangers director and also Glasgow City um, head of football operations, David Burglass. Welcome along, David. Hi, John. How are you? And I, I won't take it personally that the other two have uh, decided not to come along tonight, then, so it's just you and I. But yeah, no, thank you for the invite. Um, really, really appreciate it. No, not a problem. And thanks very much um, to, well, to your colleague, Graham, for getting in touch. It was it's always a pleasure to get a different intake. You know, Scottish football doesn't just evolve around the 42 clubs and the SPFL setup, but other people would make you think differently. So it's always great to give a bit of extra exposure. So just um, for the avoidance of um, doubt, people who maybe don't know who you are, just give us a wee bit of background to yourself, please. Yeah, um, OK. So um, born and bred in Berwick-upon-Tweed. Um, so we bring with you tonight a little bit of the English as well as the Scottish for the league. Um, born and bred in Berwick-upon-Tweed, uh, although based up in Scotland now, uh, in Pullman, Falkirk. Um, I'm currently a director um, of Berwick Rangers. Um, I joined the board in January when we put a new board in place, new chairman, um, after a, a, a change, basically a, a leadership, which was dictated largely by the supporters groups. Um, been involved in football um, a long, long time. My current responsibilities at the club are... Fundamentally, football operations. So, you know, whether that's helping um, the manager Ian and Kevin and Darren, the management team, you know, recruit players at the moment, down to making sure we've got everything in place for when we eventually get back. Um, you know, that's kind of sitting in my remit. But also poking my nose into a number of different things. But yeah, and you alluded to it at the beginning in the introduction. Um, in my other bit of my time, I spend a lot of time um, helping at Glasgow City um, through a relationship I had previously with Scott Booth. So. Is that just to prove that men can multitask, no matter what people say? Yeah, you could, we can either call it men multitasking or, or men on the verge of divorce would be another way probably of putting it at the moment. So, because um, I've also got a family, not in priority of order, and uh, a job, 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 which happens through the day. But um, yeah, I mean, bottom line is I was never a great football player. So I think probably I've tried to give back more as I've got a wee bit older in terms of some of the skills that I've learned as I've gone along. But um, I do love it. Um and you know, love obviously what I'm doing at Berwick because it's my hometown club. But very much have enjoyed the you know the, the movement of the women's game as well. Yeah, that's all good. And we'll also come on to the women's stuff because that's very important. And you know that we're trying to we're all trying to get a bit more education at women's football, give it more exposure because they've obviously done wonders for Scottish football in recent years, qualified for major tournaments, which is something the men can't do. Um, but on to Berwick first because this was the main reason why you were invited um, invited on. So. Um, so how did it come about um, that you got the invite to go on the board in January? And how big an honour was it as well? Yeah, um, yeah funny one. Um, probably sitting there in a, before COVID, a, a quiet night in January and my phone rang. And um, it was uh, one of my, a, a, an old friend of mine, Craig Forsyth, um, who'd been at the club previously as a, a director. Um, and I guess with this change of uh, leadership at the top with a new chairman and a new board to be constructed, Craig asked if I would come down to the, back down to the town um, for a conversation. Um, if I'm being really honest, John, um, was I the biggest Berwick Rangers fan previously, even when I lived in the town? Possibly not. 
Um, did I go to the games? Absolutely. Um, I'd also had a, a wee flirtation back in 2001, 2002 when I moved back to the town and I set, helped set up the youth um, academy programme under the Club, Club Academy Scotland uh, banner. But Craig asked if I would come you know, down and have a conversation with him and the soon-to-be new chairman, uh, Brian Porteous, and a, a couple of other possible new directors. And, you know, it's really funny. Um, I hadn't, my mum and dad still stay in the town, so obviously I still come down to visit, but I hadn't been at Shieldfield for quite a wee while. Um, and I guess as I drove off the main road, you know, down the, the short road to the main building to come in, I, kind of the hairs on the back of the neck did stand up a wee bit. Um, and, you know, I did actually get a wee buzz coming, you know, coming down that road and, you know, uh, and been asked. So, I guess what I probably didn't foresee, though, walking into the building and going up the stairs and sitting in the boardroom was the, the plight of the club and, you know, where we were at, at that stage. And it, it would be fair to say that we'd probably been relegated and we were sitting, you know, sulking in the lower league and we hadn't probably done as much as what we could have done to readjust. But, yeah, a huge honour um, for me personally. And I think, you know, probably the right time for me in life and, and in terms of my sort of football career, you know, in terms of all the things that I'd learned elsewhere. Good stuff. Um, it was obviously you you, you touched on the relegation um, into the Lowland League. Um, that must have hit the club really hard um, after so many years in the the football setup. Yeah, the, I mean the main sub chassis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean we 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 probably had not um, readjusted to going down. Um, we probably didn't realise what we were in for in terms of the places that we were likely now to be going. Um, and you know the standard that we were going to be playing in because I think you know a lot of people may well put the Lowland League down, but the standard in the Lowland League at times has been outstanding this season. So as a club, we probably just didn't adjust as quick as what we could have done. And you know we were probably in a bit of turmoil at the start of this season just past, where you know the manager was trying really hard to build a team. You know that classic analogy of flying a plane and building it at the same time, and he probably didn't have as much support as he probably would have liked. And you know so. We were in a bit of a mess. Um, I think I remember seeing on a video, we had viewed from a terrace down in March, just before COVID started. But I think I remember saying that, you know, it might not have been long before the doors might have been shut. Things were that kind of bleak. Um, hospitality was poor. Sponsorship was poor. Um, you know, the gates were going down. You know, they weren't already kind of, you know, huge. So it was a, a massive challenge, you know, coming back on board. And a few probably people would question you know, was it the right thing to do? But, you know, so far, four or five months on, um, you know, it has been, so. I'm glad, I'm glad it's working out. You, you touched on the hospitality. And, you know, um, how do you, you know, from lower league level, I'm not being this disrespectful, but yeah. from outsiders, people would have seen Berwick as a sinking ship because the way they went down, it was like they get, they get hammered by Albion Rovers um, and then the playoff, they didn't really turn up against um, a good golf side, admittedly, have gone on to do well. Um, how do you then sell, you know, sell to local local farms or whoever to say, come watch um, your, your local team when they're sitting? Well, I see they're twelfth twelfth in the league. Uh, ended up. Yeah, I mean, okay, so we we took over in January, um, and we had probably about eighty supporters at Sheffield Park upstairs on an open night. So we we met the supporters immediately um, as we came in. We were pretty blunt and we gave a financial update and an overall project update where we said, you know, if you don't back us respectfully, you know, we will literally probably end the season shutting the doors. Um, when we took over, we did the numbers and we were probably forecasting a 55k end of season loss, which in the Lone League was just ridiculous because we're never going to make that back. Um, and we probably would have had 5k in the bank or something like that. Um, we'd also seen, I guess, the end of our SPFL SFA parachute payments. You know, they were starting to 
fall off as well. So there's going to be a huge, you know, a huge gap in that. And our expenses had risen as well through things like insurance and that. So it was hard <laughs> immediately to kind of turn it around. But very, very quickly, um, we decided that one of the best way to get out to our supporters would be through social media. And, and, and you know, generally a, a massive improvement in terms of what we were putting out and, and how regular. So um, we recruited a team of young guns, basically, who were probably very proficient in Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And we started to kind of like basically push out as much news as we could in a professional manner on a, you know, a day to day weekly basis. I think one of the other things that we agreed very quickly, John, was that one of the biggest words that we lack in our town at the time was transparency. So every time, you know, we wanted we had bad news, we would ship it out. But every time we did something well, we wanted to tell the fans that it was going the right way. Um, you know, so we had to build the build up the trust and loyalty really, really quite quickly. And, and ironically, probably more quickly than we realised because, you know, in March, men, end of March, we all hit COVID. And I don't think if we'd done the work that we did at the end of January and, you know, during February to start rebuilding some of that, you know, empathy, we probably wouldn't have got through the last few months like we have done. So, um, it's interesting because we finished the season officially on the on the sixth of June. Uh, we did a we did a Zoom um, to the fans. We did a bit of an update on our figures and stuff like that. Um, you know, and after forecasting that initial 55k loss, we were able to tell the fans that we closed the gap to 16k, which was a 39,000 pound reduction. Now, how did we reduce it? We reduced it through a lot of bloody hard work. Basically, um, you know, we the first three games that we had when we took over. Um, you know, one of the first things we want to do is to get the hospitality, you know, full, full again, you know, and try to get some of the crowds back up. But, you know, you look at Berwick Rangers and, and relevant what people think if they're listening to this. We are a big club and we've got a very unique history. You know, we obviously are in England and we play in the Scottish leagues. But, you know, we are in the Lowland League through fundamentally mismanagement and, you know, and, and letting us get there. So there is a love for the club in the town, but it's probably a little bit lapsed. So... We knew that if we could get it right in the early days, we could actually get some of the people back through the door. And, you know, the first two, three games that we had, we sold out on hospitality. Um, you know, we I think we took £1,000 on the bar for one game. I remember when um, we probably were taking maybe 50, 60 quid in the games previous to us coming back. So there was a lot of goodwill towards us. Um, we had to earn it and we had to work, work really hard for it. But I think people did start to see pretty instantly the transparency and the effort that we were putting in the hours you know to try uh, to try and turn it around yeah i mean it's it's very important um that you know to get into the local community i'd imagine because i mean berwick's quite a big sized town um you know i've only i've been on holiday before um i've never been for a game um but no so i mean how how hard did you have to work to really get people to you know, you, you mentioned you got a thousand pound um from a barbell, yeah. you know, getting those people and in, in, into Shieldfield, you know, that must have really been such hard work yeah. at that time. I mean, some of the simplest things, um, you know, so we are a big we are we are a big town, I think thirteen fourteen thousand. Um we have a really curious catchment because there's nothing sixty miles north and nothing sixty miles south, Edinburgh, Newcastle, and then you obviously have got into the borders. So there are a lot of lapsed fans of the club that probably have become disillusioned. So, you know, some of the simplest things we did really quickly were, you know, there's a guy called Robert Johnson who used to be my coach when I was a kid football player. We put Robert back on the main door. Robert was a character. Robert was always the guy you first met when you came to Shieldfield Park as an opposing manager or a guest of hospitality. Um, so we put him back on, on the door and, you know, that went down like a storm in the town just because Robert was back at the club. 
um, we started to you know communicate regularly as I said through you know social media an example of that would be you know when we have a board meeting typically on a Thursday the comms are out on a Friday so we'll have actually we'll publish what we talked about the night before and we'll let people you know what we were deciding so we were almost like letting fans become um, you know part of the club and within the club the other thing we did very quickly, John, at the beginning was we definitely needed to see if there was love for the club. Um, and before COVID struck, we decided to launch a Just Given page called the 1881 Fund. So we had that before COVID appeared. Um, and we set ourselves a target of raising, which was quite a massive amount of money for us, which was £10,000. You know, and very, very quickly, I think after maybe the first two or three weeks, we were at 75% of actually raising that. So what, what that told us was, the people were behind us if we did the right thing. They weren't going to bail us out constantly, you know, week to week. Um, but actually, if we did the right things, then they would come back. And then, you know, there's probably one moment that kind of told you that we had it right, which was um, we decided to have a community day in February. We were playing Edinburgh University at home. Um, we decided that we would underwrite the gate receipts. So the supporters club and the supporters trust each put in money to cover what we would normally take on gate income. And we opened the gate and we opened the gates for nothing. And we let people just come back. Um, I think we had over 560 people at the game on the coldest day in February ever. Um, but that kind of good, that showed us that, you know, people were out there and they would come watch if we were able to put on a good product. Um, ironically, we did a bucket collection and we made more in the bucket collection than we did normally on the gate receipts. Which was really wild. Now, I don't know if that was partly down to the fact that... Um, the guys from View from a Terrace came down and they filmed the, the whole day. They were up there in the morning. They met the mayor. They met some of the directors and they went round the ground and spoke to some of the fans. So maybe people were a bit, you know, kind of excited by the fact that the cameras were there. But but the whole day was a massive success in terms of just trying to re-engage with the community. Um, and, and that kind of, I think, gain, again, gave us a sense of, you know what, actually we can do this. Okay, fair enough, two weeks later, um, we 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 all ended in, entered into lockdown, which was a bit of a, a hard one to take for us but you know we've continued to work exceptionally hard um, during lockdown and maybe that good faith that we built up in January and February at the start of March has you know kind of got us through to where we're at today. Yeah. Obviously in the media um, everything's talking about the, the senior games but just how, how badly did um, from from what I saw in the, the YouTube video you said as I said beforehand yeah. again, didn't get a chance to watch yeah. it all but from what I'm from what I got from that you came out that um, you've come out so far not too bad um, like unlike a lot of other clubs yeah. in the senior level. Yeah, I mean, what, what, one of the things that we were really clear on, and we have got a chairman who's utterly, uh, absolutely tight, full stop. Yeah, he's not one of these chairmen that's going to be chairman that's going to be frugal and you know spend on his money. So Brian Portis, he's that's why he was brought back, and we won't spend what we don't have. It's as simple as that. So if I'm being really honest, lockdown has been probably a lottery win for us, John. Um, and that um, it's given us a chance to restructure the club. Um, it's given us a chance to look at all the expenses, the outcomes and the ingo- and the incomings that we actually had. Um, it's allowed us to recruit more directors. So we now have a board which has uh, one, two, three, four, four of us as full-time directors, and then we've got another four associates, of which associate director is almost like a three-month probation. And, and if they pass that, they'll step up to being a full director. So we've actually strengthened the people that we have within the club and we've brought in people with business experience and skills and capabilities that would run a football club, Never, sorry, a business, never mind a, a football club. Um, I guess COVID also meant that we stopped training. So we, we obviously we, we lost our expenses for training in Edinburgh at Pepper Mill and obviously our away trips and buses and stuff like that. But 
that alone was never going to see us through. So we had to then think very cleverly because furlough hadn't been announced how we were actually going to pay the wages. So one of the first things we did, we were one of the first clubs to do it, was we announced that we would play, pay our wages until the end of May, the end of the contracts of the players, before furlough was launched, which was absolutely another massive gesture that went down so well with the players, but also so well within the community. And obviously when furlough came in, we've obviously capitalised on that a wee bit, but we've really just had to work hard and thinking of different ways to raise money. Um, you know, We've been massively successful with our Just Giving page. We smashed 10K, I think we ended up with 12 um, and then we got involved in a couple of other initiatives that have been going on just now, donate a ticket and, and, and a couple of other ways of raising money. So, Yeah, that's that's all excellent. But what about um, when when Lowland League does eventually start? I mean, obviously we're, we're not aware of when that is due. Um, can you actually tell us whilst we're on, um, have you heard any, had any meetings about when that might start up? And if so, what's the outlook in terms of people getting in? Because yeah. um, obviously there's, Aberdeen are expecting no crowds till January. Yeah, it's an, it's an odd one, right? Um, and a little bit odder for us because we're in England. Obviously, we play in England, but we're governed by the Scottish leagues. But anyway, um, yeah, I was at a meeting on uh, Tuesday night. There's a subgroup now within the Lowland um, where we're trying to, we're almost trying to kind of work out what it means for the big guys, for the little guys. So in terms of, you know, what do our stadiums need to look like? And I don't know if you saw this on social media, but there was a really excellent um, video put together by Livingston, I think at the start of the week, where they were showing you from the moment you parked your car in the car park to the moment you went through the front door and then you went through the process out to the training pitch, how it would kind of operate. Mm-hmm. So we've started to look at, um, as a subset of the Lone League, at you know, what are the guidelines and the, the, the best practice sharing advice we can kind of give to each of our clubs? Because we're all very different. Um, you know, uh, we have our own ground. We've got a reasonably big ground. Um, you know, so for us, we're going to have to make some significant changes. But, um, you know, I think, I think we, we all agreed the other night that, it's changing by the day, John. Um, you know, obviously we've had another update today from the from the um, the first minister. Um, I think we've saw that at the end of June, um, you know, sports centres outside playing fields are going to start to open up again. Obviously, we're going to have restrictions and stuff like that that we're going to have to consider. But what we started talking about the other night was if we if we were given a date, let's just say July for training or August for training or September for training, you know, what's the optimum training window to get a guy back on a pitch and actually playing? You know, if, if you think about a normal pre-season, football players are typically off for four or five weeks and then they're back in. A pre-season is typically six weeks. These guys have now been off for, you know, 10, 11, 12 weeks by the time they go back. So the spot signs and that suggests that you're going to have to be really, really quite gentle and careful. And I think we're seeing in the Bundesliga in the last couple of weeks has been an increase of injuries. So the Lone League have started to try and work out what that means for them at our level how we can provide the guidance to the clubs, how we can help them out, maybe understand some of the best sports science that's out there. And what we're kind of doing probably is we're all just using connections and friends that we've maybe got at other clubs to kind of pull that together because I'm not saying we've been forgotten about, um, but you're right, the focus is very much on, let alone the 42, but the top 12 at the moment and actually getting them back on the pitch. So we're probably having to work a lot of these things out ourselves. Whilst our chairman, George Fraser, um, is actually on one of the, the big SFA working groups there isn't really a lot of guidance coming out for us and I think what's probably been a bit frustrating for all of us as clubs is that you know you can watch on the telly at the moment where you can queue around the corner to buy something in Primark or you can go and have a protest on a Saturday in the middle of Glasgow or Edinburgh yet we can't put maybe 100, 200, 300 people on a ground that maybe takes 4,000 so I think it's just a wait and see at the moment but um, we're optimistic that we'll get back um, probably a little bit optimistic that we might be slightly different in the rules, but until we actually heal otherwise, we just have to probably scenario plan for the different situations that will arise. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like the fit, football to be back up soon. I mean, they, they announced yesterday, UEFA announced yesterday that the the playoffs of the year of two, um, 2020 are going to be happening in October, which should have been Scotland's um, first sellout in three years. Um, I'm, I've actually got a ticket for that game, but yeah. now it doesn't look as though they're going to allow anyone in, which is going to be a massive blow. Um, yeah. The SFA are talking about a million and a half of um, compensation. Um, but, I mean, in terms of I'll, I'll come on to this, um, the the SPFL farce. That's the only way I can describe it over the last um, two and a half months. Um, I think there's been, from my own point of view, from the outside looking in, there's just been too many embarrassing statements. At, at a time, I think what frustrates me as a football fan is the priority should be making sure clubs get through this. You know, it's, they struggle. It's, a lot of them struggle when they've got money coming in, now you're taking all that money out. It's, and this is where clubs should be coming together. But in fact, if anything, they're pulling each other, for, taking themselves further and further apart from embarrassing statements. And, you know, whilst I sympathise for the relegated teams, what gets, what, where I'm having a problem is the Lowland and Highland League situation that they're yeah. being denied that opportunity for promotion. Um, yeah. Where do you sit with that? Being, a, sit, being a team that wants eventually to go back up? Yeah, two 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 views. Uh, in fact, I've probably got more than two views. But anyway, I'll, I'll I saw the broader chairman this week. Um, after being very placid about it, maybe four or five weeks ago, I think he he just let rip when I think he talked about it being a private members club, and you know you can understand and you know very much so why you know he said that, and I think that was probably driven off the back of the comments that was made by you know Brian Reid at Albion Rovers. No, you know I, I don't know Brian Reid. I don't know what kind of guy he is, but. I saw Brian Reid getting slaughtered off of some of his ex-teammates, um, you know, from Rangers for that comment, which was interesting on Twitter. You know, Bob Malcolm was making that comment, but um, it's wrong. It's appalling. Um, we we can't have a pyramid if we're not going to operate like a pyramid. And at the minute, it's not even a pyramid when it's all working. And that, you know, you've got two clubs and the Lowland and the Highland that have to play off. And then, you know, the team above still get another chance to, you know, to stay in the league. Um, it's got to change. Um you know, what's been really interesting, um, first and foremost, as a Berwick Rangers director, um, yeah, absolutely, we want to be back in the SPFL. But then part of me makes me think there are 67 new clubs in the west of Scotland, I think-ish. Um, there are a number of clubs in the east of Scotland in the Highland League, and then you've got the Lone League. As a product, if we could commercially market it, you know, would you actually want to be back involved in it at some stage? No, yeah, you do. You want to play the big guys like Aberdeen and Rangers and Celtic and all that. But some of your clubs in SPFL 1 and SPFL 2, no disrespect, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not putting them down. They run themselves from day to day. You know, they're finding themselves in really difficult situations at the moment. I understand with cash flow, but some of that goes down to the mismanagement and the way they've actually been run over the years. And you know, it almost feels like clubs like Kelty and Brora and, and others in our league who are probably looking at the way they've been run properly from the ground up are actually being penalised for the, the poor management and you know, in the years gone by. Now, if we'd still been in the SPFL and this had happened two years ago, we would have been in the same bucket because we were probably poorly managed at that stage as well, and money was bleeding out. So, you know, I can understand why the 42 have made that statement or, or why they've gone that way. I definitely don't think it's the right thing. I mean, I've spent 20 odd years in corporate organisations. I know like you, I, I would have been sacked by now if I'd been working, if I'd worked in a corporate business for, for, for underperforming, basically, in, in the way that the league, you know, organisation and restructure has been done. So it has to change. Um, it's got to change. It's got to be different. Um, you know, the product's not the best in the world, but I, I'm, I'm a fan of the MLS, John, in that you know, clubs are means-tested before they're given franchises in different states. You know, and, and a franchise is launched in one particular area. There's never two in the same space type thing. Okay, New York's slightly different than Los Angeles. But 
there's got to be a way where all these clubs are almost reviewed from the bottom up and, and actually assessed to see if they are financially viable. And I think Gordon Strachan's comments the other week were ill-considered. I understand maybe what he was trying to say, but at the same time, you know, we, we can't have as many clubs as we've got living from week to week because when you look at the clubs in the west of Scotland who are now a threat to us in the lowlands, you know, your Pollocks and your Arthurese and all these guys in Darville, they're well run. They're financially secure and viable. You look at what Cove's done. There are other teams in the Highland League as well. So there has to be something different now. It's got to be different. And for me, it starts at the top. Um, you know, And it's not slagging off a slate in the people at the top. It's We need a restructure, full stop. We don't just need a restructure of the league. We need a restructure probably of men's football, women's football, youth football, junior football, the lot. We need to put in place something like we have probably at the FA and it's run like a corporate organisation properly. No, I, I, to, I totally agree, um, especially with, with the structuring from the top end, um, because my, what, one of my big problems is there's this 11-1 voting system for one the top flight is a nonsense. I, I just think, I don't like, it's it's driven by self-interest, not even just the 11-1, all through the leagues, it's all self-interest, and that's why we're in this position. Um, it should be independent members. Anyone who's on that board should not be affiliated to our club. For me, Rudy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we, we obviously, um, I never met him, don't have anything negative to say about him, but we obviously found ourselves in a difficult situation at the end of the season where, you know, Brecon finished bottom of the, the second division, yeah, and we had the Brecon chairman sitting on one of the governing bodies. So, you know, difficult for him, absolutely difficult for him, and to be honest, probably shouldn't have put himself in that position, but you can understand why all the clubs beneath started to get really agitated and angry about it because, you know, they've scored out of this hugely. Um, we also had the farce as well with regards to which league they would have gone into. Um, you know, I was probably on a board meeting when that was discussed that night and I was kind of sitting there shaking my head thinking, why would Brecon play in the Lowland League when they're based in Virgin on the edge of the Highlands? Now, I happen to live in Pullman uh, in Falkirk. I happen to know where Brecon train, about 500 yards from my house. You know, that's by choice that they choose to attract the players from you know the Central Belt in Glasgow. Um, and it almost felt, it did feel like that at stage they were getting to choose which league they were going to go in. So, those choices shouldn't be there. It, you know, that's just not the way it, it should be run. And that largely comes down from the poor governance at the top of the organisation that lets people have an opinion to that extent. Again, you know, I go into work every day, five days a week. I don't really largely have a say on how my organisation works, which has over 300,000 people on it. I kind of do what I'm told. My opinion's valued, but ultimately there's governance and procedures in place that run my business. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. Um, it's, yeah, it's an I'll not I mean, go too much. I, I, I thought, yeah, no, but I mean, my other opinion would be, as a fan, I'm the same as you. Um, I was born in England. I'm a Scotland supporter. My parents are Scottish. I chose to support Scotland still. Um, I'm a Scotland supporter. I've never really supported any club in Scotland. I happen to obviously have a great affinity with St. Johnston, working with Derek McInnes and that. But, you know, so I'm neither, I'm neither green, uh, blue, you know, green or maroon, whatever it be. So as a fan, it's embarrassing. It's it's absolutely embarrassing watching Scottish football tear itself apart, like you know, to pieces like it is at the minute. And and then you know, maybe when you do ask me a couple of questions at the end, it's embarrassing now being involved in women's football because actually, when we talk about football in Scotland, we don't give a monkey's about the women's game, which is except it's exceptionally sad because you know one of our best success stories in the last two or three years has been women's football. Whether we like it or not, the men's football has been it's failed at national team level. So I just think we need to have a radical rethink in terms of how this is going to be. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And um, 
you know, do you think a lot of the clubs are, are frightened by what could be potentially coming up from the other leagues? Because you've seen the impact Cove made in, in year one. Um, you've seen the likes of Edinburgh City have more than held their own and go, even going back to Ross County and Inverness. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 and understandably why you did it. You alluded to us being 12th this season. We were, we were, we were poor. We had a poor start to the season. We, you know, we were recruiting players as we were playing to begin with. We definitely had a second, a better um, start to 2020, and sadly the season was curtailed. But when you looked at the top sides in our league, you know, Bonnie Rigg, BSC, um, who played Hibs, Kelty, Spartans, you know, the, good teams the worst, in there. there are, yeah, there are a number of good teams in there who I think could easily have stepped up to SPFL2 and caused the problem. And, and like you say, as you've seen with Edinburgh City and Cove, they've gone on um, and, and, you know, and, and be stronger. But the thing is, the clubs are frightened to come down. Um, I remember saying to one of my friends the other week about we, we don't want to be at lone league level forever. We'd love to be back where we think we belong, but you've got to earn that. You've got to earn the right to be actually in SPFL, you know, two, one, whatever it be. Um, ironically, when the view from the terrace guys came, John, in, in, in March, February, when they were finished, their view of our club was we were not bottom end championship, top end first division, the way we were run. But it's too late. We'd already slid out. So I think the teams are frightened to slide out. I think I've said constantly in press and media and podcasts I've done, it's probably been a good thing for us to you know reset the dial and look at our, our business and what we're trying to do. Um, we'll launch something on Friday, which is very special for us as a club. Um, we've never had a community foundation before. We launched that on Friday. Um, our community foundation will be a charity registered in England. So we will benefit from Football Foundation and Sport England funding. So we're going to be able to, for the very first time in our history, benefit from being football side Scotland, charity community side England. So the, the ability to access bigger funds as an organisation will start to hopefully make us kind of like more sustainable for the long term. So so we've enjoyed the Lone League experience. We've enjoyed restructuring our club. I think other clubs who constantly are in that bottom two, bottom three every year, should look upon it if they go down as an opportunity to reset. But, you know, that it, for me, it feels like they're just like, you know, you know when you see a duck on the top of the water and they look very elegant or a swan, and but they're peddling like mad underneath. It, it, it's no fun if you're doing that, which is why we've enjoyed doing the Berwick thing because, you know, it's it's been a little bit less pressure and it's given us a chance to rethink. Just um, touching on the Albion Rovers um, magical. We had Kevin Harper on a few weeks ago, and he um, before he resigned, and he had, you know spoke about the threat of the the lower leagues, and he was quite frightened about it because Albion Rovers is one of the lowest budgets. Then Brian Reid making his pretty ridiculous comments in my eyes. What about re, um, the prospect of regionalising the lower leagues? Because that's been talked about a lot by fans. Do you think that's something that should be looked at? Um. Possibly. Um, again, one of the things that I liked about the MLS was the whole conference situation where I think all the clubs play each other once, twice a season, but they're split into conferences and mm-hmm. they come together at the end for you know the competition, the playoffs and the, and the finals and stuff. Yeah, possibly. Um, possibly one way of doing it, because obviously for us straight away, a regional league would save you know save us and other clubs a considerable sum of money. I mean, you know, if Brecon had come down, for example, to the Lone League, you would have had WT Star travelling all the way up to you know, uh, from Dumfries up to uh, breaking on maybe a Tuesday or Wednesday night, which would just just have been absolutely ridiculous. So it's definitely something that could be considered. I think there's a lot of things that we kind of need to look at. Um, I remember having one conversation with somebody a few years ago where I thought about the East and the West Conference. And, you know, for example, Aberdeen could win the Eastern Conference one year and then them plus the next three, plus three from the Western Conference going to the 
conference playoffs and mm-hmm. you know instead of it being the Scottish Cup final it's the conference playoff final and you know yeah. there's definitely got to be something different but I think to do that John you need a you need a marketeer you need somebody that actually understands how they could productize football um, and you know when you look at the SFA and the SPFL on them the governing bodies their administration bodies you know the they're not uh, they're not productizing type organizations that can probably take us to the next level that we actually need to go to. And, and you know, one of the most lovable things about football fans is they all have an opinion. Um, and there's probably some really cracking ideas other than you and I on this that, you know, people may be even listening that if you took one good idea from everyone, I'm sure you would come up with a pretty fantastic product that you could actually make better. So... Yeah, yeah, you definitely like to think so. Um, I mean, we're at a stage where we're trying to find a sponsor and you see all this, yeah. um, these petty statements going out and there's not many clubs that are an exception to the rule, my own club included, incidentally. Yeah. So it's just um, it's just a shame that at a time we need to pull together, it's just not happening. That's um, the big frustration because to me, there's a lot of good happen- happening in Scottish football, but the way it's been governed and some of the people running at certain clubs seems to be um, down in it a bit. What what we've enjoyed the most at Berwick in the last eight eight to ten weeks, and, you know, we're equally as important as, um, you know, Falkirk, um, Queen of the South, all the other clubs, but equally as important because we've got fans and, you know, we're proud of our history. Um, But what's been interesting in the last ten weeks has just been some of the unique, creative, fun ways where clubs have been working working on different things to keep fans engaged, maybe get more money, um, et cetera, et cetera. I'll give you a quick example. Um, there's a really clever young guy called Ruri Kilgour, um, who's at Wraith Rovers. He's a Wraith Rovers fan. And I think he does digital marketing and, and, and as his day job. But he created a thing called Donate a Ticket, which I'm not sure if you've heard. So Donate a Ticket was really, really funny. Um, we had a Scottish Cup. We got knocked out uh, two weeks ago. But Donate a Ticket was basically like we would be drawn against the club. So there were invariably clubs in the SPFL one two Lone League and you know the Highland League and that, um, and if we drew Stenos Mio, which we did in the first round, you could buy a ticket for a fiver. You could donate a ticket for a fiver, one point, and the team that finished on the Sunday night, seven pm, with the most points from the Thursday, won the tie and progressed. As a club, we've made over eleven thousand pounds in in two in two months. So that eleven plus that eleven plus three from the Sports Trust, we've raised twenty five, twenty six thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the last sort of three week, uh, three months, which we would never have done. So, off the back of that, Wraith then got in touch with me after I launched a, a brochure for our young fans to design a kit and you know colour in a flag and answer some questions. And um, I just got a message there before we'll can, we've shared that document with Wraith. I've rebranded it. They've added some of their content in it, and you know um, they'll launch that at some stage probably tonight. So there's definitely been good that's came out of COVID, um, and a lot of clubs are probably getting a wee bit competitive as well. And that I remember seeing the Darvel pictures on Twitter with their new changing rooms with the, the luminous blue lighting and all that. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I get where yellow and black, black and gold, but, you know, yeah. all that kind of fun stuff has probably got clubs being a bit more fun, competitive off the pitch, doing different things and that. So it's, it has been good as well as it's been, you know, petty and, you know, poor with, a, with some of the stuff, other stuff that's been going on. Yeah, uh, we had uh, Mick Kennedy, Darvel manager, on a few weeks ago, yeah. and we were talking about their their setup. I mean, the, the changing rooms were for a club yeah. like that was very yeah. impressive. Yeah, I mean, we 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 are lucky. Um, Sheffield Park, we've got one of the best pitches in Scotland. It's grass. Um, clubs come to us in pre-season from the top level because we put on a really good pitch. But we've then got two other pitches either side of Sheffield, so we're lucky as in terms of a complex. We've got three parks. So our, our plans is to grow grow our community involvement. You know, we've just reconnected with our juniors. 
So we want more juniors. The call I had before this is we're just about to appoint a head of girls and women. Um, you know, so we'll be launching that on Monday as well. So, you know, COVID and lockdown has given us a really amazing opportunity to kind of rethink and reset. So yeah, excellent. We obviously touched on girls and women's at um at Berwick. You're obviously um head of football operations at Glasgow City, um, which leads us on nicely. So how did that opportunity arise? Yeah, so through through the SFA and through the SFA coaching programme, um, I got to know Scott Booth, who was doing his pro licence, um, and, and Scott asked for a wee bit of help on a couple of things as he was going through that. And then, you know, um, he asked me how much I wanted for helping him out with it, to which I said nothing, because I'm just kind of a good guy and I, I was keen to help. So he actually then took me to Italy um, to an under-16 tournament where we played Russia, Germany, um, and uh, the Italians in a 14 tournament. Um, Ross McCrory was in the squad at that time. Uh, and ironically, actually, a Bennett Rangers player, Kevin Woff was. I didn't realise, and he messaged me the other week after I mentioned that on another podcast. So I got really quite friendly with Scott from that, and then we kept in touch, and he kind of kept asking if I would come and get involved. And um, I think it was 20... 2018, December 2018, I caught up with Laura Montgomery, um, one of the founders, um, who's also at Hibs uh, with a day job, and you know, I had a right good chat with Laura down Leith Walk, and I took the chance to get involved, and you know, initially sort of had a look at the academy and started to try and professionalise that wee bit more in terms of kit, look and feel, social media, comms, try to speak to the parents and that, and I have to be honest, John, I've not looked back, and I'm I'm probably angry that I didn't get involved in the women's game quicker. Um, I've made some amazing friends at Glasgow City off the pitch and on the pitch um, and I've met some amazing friends as well at other clubs throughout the game and that and you know I was lucky enough to go to the World Cup last summer representing City uh, on a course with Leanne Ross and it was just absolutely it was truly amazing and, and, and such an amazing experience oh, Fantastic um, and obviously the women's season is, has been delayed now that's hardly had a mention of um, yeah. the mainstream media which Quite bad. I mean, I, I'm I'm saying that. I mean, a lot of po- a lot of podcasts as well, including ours, could probably do more with the women's game. We had we said that to Leanne uh, when we, she was on a few weeks ago. But um, there's still been no update as far as we can see on when that league's starting. Um, have you heard anything? Yeah, it no, seems um, to be brushed under the carpet. <laughs> well, things have probably gotten a little bit more interesting this week because obviously UEFA came out. Um, I think it was yesterday with the decision on all the champions competitions that they were going yeah. to do um, single leg tie. So I think the women's competition, as you read, was is now going to be in, in Bilbao since San Sebastian in, in August. So obviously we need to try as a club to get ourselves back on a pitch to at, le- at the very least start training. Um, getting a competitive game is going to be obviously very, very difficult for us. And the tie itself was already going to be difficult because Wolfsburg won the league this week. Um, you know, So they're one of Europe's very, very best. But I know that Laura and Scott have been attending a number of different conversations with um, you know all the other clubs on Zoom much like we're doing tonight and you know looking at when that's going to be and there was a survey put out by the SWF a wee while ago now about you know canvassing clubs when what would they like to do would it be a summer season or you know a winter season so I think I think we're just kind of almost waiting probably I suspect like the men's game for that trigger point that says right it's we're going back now so that the scenario means we're on this one scenario being this is when we're going to play so um, first and foremost, we need to get the first team back for us. It'll not be the same at all the other clubs, I guess. But um, and I know that Laura and, and the guys behind the scenes are working incredibly hard with a, um, a facility that we use in, in, in Glasgow up at um, up in Giffnick. So the quicker the better, to be honest, John. Um, I think it's you start to see in the women's game and the men's game, you start to see you know people are starting to struggle a wee bit um, from the mental health side of things and that. And 
you know, just to get yourself back out on the pitch. And you watch the games that are on this weekend. You know, I watched Arsenal City last night. It wasn't the best game in the world. Tempo was half decent, but just actually seeing them out there enjoying themselves again and even seeing the photos on Twitter, the guys sort of training again in Scotland. It's important that we get the kids back as well as, you know, as well as the, the first teams back. So, Oh, definitely. I mean, at first I'm just looking forward to getting back in the sevens pitch, but... <laughs> it's, right? it's funny, we started this season, didn't we, all watching Barry on the news? Yeah, going under. And, and yeah. you know, all the Barry fans crying outside as the gates were locked. In a, in a funny, weird kind of way, we've probably all had our own Berry moment. You know, the last 12 weeks, we've lost mm-hmm. our clubs and we've lost our football. So, you know, let's look at the half-full stuff. Let's hope that, you know, men's game, women's game, crowds are up. More people want to go back if we price it properly. You know, so let's mm-hmm. let's maybe see if there's a positive impact out of this. Yeah, let's have the whole. So um, one positive was that there was funding um, given by James Anderson towards the, the, the men's game, but he also gave what was it, a quarter million um, to the women's uh, game, which I think is fantastic. It is. I mean, it, it, it is truly, truly impressive. Um, I think one of the things you'll know from speaking to Leanne and you know, even just reading up on is that City have prided themselves very much on the fact that they are unique and that we don't seek support mm-hmm. from a men's club. You know, now, with that comes challenges that Lauren Cass have done amazingly well on in the last 21 years is to try and fund effectively what is a professional football operation. You know, so... That bit of money that James has put in yesterday um, has been absolutely graciously accepted. Um, I know all the clubs will be really, really delighted that he's, you know, not forgotten about the women's game at the same time. Um, you know, we have to remember a lot of these girls that um, are professional players. You know, I, I remember we we were away, we were in Bromby playing in the Champions League the round before this away, and I think we came off the pitch at half six, seven, eight o'clock at night, and some of the girls literally went straight to the airport, jumped on a plane, and were back at work the next day. It's costly to run a club. You know, yeah. it sounds attractive and sexy, but it's it's difficult. Um, you know, so this bit of money that James has put in yesterday is, you know, I know it's going down really, really well with our founders anyway, and I'm sure the others as well. So Oh yeah, with it then hopefully um that'll um keep the women's game going um a, a bit longer. Uh, and going on the exposure of the women's game, I mean we've touched bits a bit on it, as we've said, um Although the season started, it only started one game, but there's never been any talk in the media about when it's resuming, and I know that's something that's been frustrating from the outside looking in. When you think back to a year ago, when the country was in a bit of a hype with yeah. the World Cup, I mean, it was great, 18,000 uh, for the game at Hamden, lots of people watching, loads of people on social media um, with the reaction, with the um, you know, upset about getting put out of the way they did against yeah. Argentina. But since then, I mean... I think there was 6,000 at the first uh, Euro qualifying game, which is good, the 9-0, uh, 8-0 over Cyprus, sorry, but the tendencies haven't really kicked on no. from there, and again, it, it just doesn't seem to be getting the exposure it should be getting. I mean, just talk about some of the challenges that you still face. So I know Leanne I, from Sweden's Horror is a bit miffed yeah. about it. No, um, I, I remember going to the game against Jamaica. We, uh, we, we took over 500 tickets at Glasgow City, the academy, and the parents, and friends and family, we went wild on it to, to get people there. And whilst 18,000 was um, an, an outstanding attendance for a women's game in Scotland, I was probably a bit more disappointed that the SFA probably didn't think differently in terms of how they would market it. And, and what I would mean by that is, and I've said this to others at City, whether I'm right or wrong, I don't really care, but um, I think you would have had the Scottish Cup final on the Saturday. Um, the pitch would have been in pristine condition, absolutely. Could the facility have been cleaned up on the Saturday night, the Sunday morning, whatever it be, and could you not have had the game then on the Sunday? 
you then probably would have had the car park full of maybe bands and entertainment and, and fun things going on. And I would suspect far more people from Aberdeen would have came down on a bus on a on a Sunday for an experience than maybe coming down, I think it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. So I just think 18,000 was amazing, but I think it could have been 2025 if we'd actually really put our mind into it. So I am surprised that the drop in interest and in, 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 uh, social media, I mean, there's one journalist in particular, Alan Campbell, who does an outstanding job at the Herald to try and keep women's football at the forefront. And, um, you know, so Alan writes about it more than probably any other, but it has gone quiet, which is slightly disappointing. Um, ironically, the league's probably got more professional this year than ever before with Rangers and Celtic starting to increase the investment and the effort in it. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a bit of a paradox that I think we kind of probably need to con- kind of consider. But at the same time, the people that run the SWF do an outstanding job. But you know, they, they do it probably on a shoestring in terms of. And it's back to that point you and I were saying before. It's about it's a product, so it needs to be marketed like a product, not run like a league. You know, so that little bit of um, invest a bit more money in marketing and uh, productizing the product. And, and, you know, speculate to accumulate. Like my mum said when I was younger and that, it's like, you know, you maybe need to take a chance on it and see where it kind of goes. I mean, there's a bit of money, I think, which is still being held at Hamden at the moment from the from the World Cup that, you know, the clubs were due after Scotland's success. So why hasn't that money been distributed? Why hasn't that money been used to help the clubs through this difficult period? So, so many ideas. Um, but, you know, loved what I've done in the last couple of years. Um, see amazing opportunities um, in the women's game that probably haven't been exploited and and as I say probably admire Cass and Laura even more now you know looking at the challenges they've had over these years and you know when I look at people like Leanne Crichton and Leanne Ross and Hayley Laura, Joe Love and Lee Alexander you know I look up them now as kind of heroes you know I'm older than them way older than them I never played at the level they have but when when I look at the number of caps they've had for their country and they're just amazing people they'll, they'll give you every bit of time that they've possibly got if they can they're really interesting to listen to. So, you know, it's it's really quite inspiring when you see Kreitz doing all the stuff she does now on the TV and that, you know, that that's great for her. And it's great for us as a club because we're getting a wee bit of profile out of it. But mm-hmm. um, I don't think they have had probably the the, the, the kind of um, exposure and success that they deserve. And, you know, on, on Sunday, actually, we record our Berwick Rangers podcast, Let It Be RFC. Um, and we've actually got Joel Murray, who's the Hibs captain, along. Um, and ironically, a really funny story, when Liam Craig was at Hibernian after he left St. Johnston for a short spell, he was the Hibs captain at the same time as Joel. And both of them grew up in the same age in Chinside, just outside mm-hmm. Berwick. So the two of them are coming on Sunday to do our podcast. But, you know, there's there's a lot of really good role models that I think, um, you know, we, we should be kind of giving more PR and exposure to. So. Yeah, well, there's a bit of PR exposure to your podcast, um, but you may, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the, the you know marketing. Uh, yeah. Rachel Co- Rachel Corsi, um, Scott captain Aberdeen fan as well. Yeah. Um, she she made a comment about that when Aberdeen launched their their new strip because now again um, you know in, in in the in the new kits that Aberdeen had, but what Rachel said was that. Aberdeen missed a marketing opportunity there because they could have had a female player from their female team because yeah. Aberdeen's um, female team is just getting up and running as well. Um, yeah. Do you think that's something, again, that clubs are missing an opportunity on? Yeah, some of them are doing it better than others. Um, I think last year, I think Hearts worked quite hard at it when uh, you know when Kevin Murphy came back from Man City and got involved with the women's section. I did notice in the when the Hearts new kits were launched, there was definitely a, a larger women's section presence in it as well. Um, I think Hibs have been the same. 
which I would expect, obviously, because Laura's in there and in a day job and that. So, but I think sometimes, I don't think sometimes, it's like all the stuff going on at the moment in the news, um, you know, with Black Lives Matter and that. I don't think, I think sometimes people don't think, I think there's an unconscious, an unconscious bias, John, where yeah. you, just, you do what you do normally and you do it all the time and you just don't take that slight second mm-hmm. to think back. So I guess that's my point about the SFA and the Jamaica game. It's not a criticism, an amazing attendance. But if you take a tiny step back and think of it differently, could you have done it another way and could you have had more people at it? Mm-hmm. And, and and like you say, how would you have then retained it when the girls came home from you know the Argentina match? Because obviously the country was on a high and then we had the balloon popped in that last 15 minutes. But um, you know those girls were heroes when they came back, but we didn't really see much when they came back either. So, mm-hmm. But clubs definitely need to consider, I think, more the integration of... The women's side and again though very differently we're unique in that we don't actually have that but you you see it more I think down south I mean there was a big thing when United launched I'm a United fan and um, there was a big thing when Casey Stoney came back and the United squad was launched and you know all the advertising for the new kits were you know female and male with regards to you know the kit, uh, the kits we marketed so mm-hmm. yeah um, I think uh, can't remember what's going on no, uh, the SFA, to be fair to them, um, any time they, they launch a new strips now, they have a women yes, player absolutely. and a, you know, a yep. men's player. And in terms of the media, I mean, you mentioned um, that Le- Leanne's done, you know, doing her TV stuff. I mentioned Rachel's doing some, did the odd punditry stuff. And you are seeing more fem- females being pundits. I mean, you've all, you've always had a presenter around here like Hazel Irvin and yep. Ailey Barber, now the more recent example, Emma yep. Dodds in the sidelines. But, um, Again, from the media point of view, there's maybe something that they could do a bit more like, in terms of the women's highlights. You could maybe integrate that into something like sports scene or even... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot... I mean, a lot of the clubs... I mean, we've got a really fantastic... We're very lucky. We've got a really fantastic media team led by a guy called Callum Patterson who's been there a long, long time. Um, and, you know, Laura, is, Laura and Cass are really, really quite grateful for what Callum does. But we produce some really outstanding highlights I think most of the clubs are in the same position now they will be videoing the game probably from a video analysis point of view so I would see no reason why clubs couldn't submit the highlights in and something could be packaged up and played at some stage you know over the course of a weekend I mean Albert have been BBC Albert have been fantastic in terms of um, you know sponsoring uh, the, the or you know televising and sponsoring the, uh, the women's game you know so maybe even just to start with a package Highlights, you know, within Alba that are submitted in. But then again, why wouldn't you play them on sports scene on a, you know, a Saturday or a Sunday night? So, but you know, it's just little things that make a massive difference because it then keeps it in the front of your mind, the conscious might, but your mind that, um, you know, that you, you kind of know it's still there and that. And it, it is a wee bit disheartening trying to keep you know 147 girls in the Glasgow City Academy engaged at the moment when all you hear about it in the news at the moment is like men's football ripping itself to pieces and that. So. And actually, women's football is definitely one of the most, you know, important shining lights that we actually probably have. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, the women's game is also good at, um, you know, embrace, embracing sexuality. In fact, it's not even a discussion. You know, yeah. when you, see, you know, you see players with, you know, same-sex partners, where as in the men's yeah. game, yeah. it's still been. It's just Justin Fashnu, nineteen ninety, thirty years ago. He's the only yeah. one that's came out whilst playing. There's been a couple that Thomas Hitz also got afterwards, and. Yeah. It's sad that we're still, you know, 20, 20, 30 years on for Justin Fashion, we're still in this scenario. It shouldn't be an issue. It, it shouldn't be an issue. I, absolutely not. Um, I, I, you know, my day job, I've spent the best part of 24 years in human resources, HR. So I've seen, you know, a lot of policies come and go. Um, I've, lo- I've 
work, work with a lot of colleagues who are either heterosexual or bisexual or, you know, or, or gay. So, I, you know, the whole LGBT thing is not new for me. I've been involved in it for a long, long time and I've supported a lot of projects and the organisations I've worked in. So it, it is interesting. It's, it's, it's just different in, in the men's and women's game, as you say. So, um, but then again, you look at everything that's going on just now, you know, with regards to you know what happened in the US and how that's came back to the UK and impacted and, you know, people have opinions and that's probably one of the bad things about social media. Sometimes you can get wound up and triggered by it. Um, you know, so, you know what, um, we live in a world where we're driven by opinions. We've got leaders in positions in different countries at the moment who are probably not the best role models. So we just probably have to get our heads down and get on with it, John. So, yeah, Definitely. But bring back on to Glasgow City, you, you obviously touched on Celtic and Rangers putting in more funding into their teams. You know, how big a challenge is it going to be for City to maintain their dominance, knowing that you've got some of your more professional clubs looking to potential invest, obviously pre-COVID-19. Um, don't know how much that's going to take out their funding, but that must be a yeah. big challenge. You, know, you, it, it, you made me smile there when you said more professional clubs. I wouldn't say they're more professional, but I know what you mean. So I'm yeah, having a bit of, you know what I mean. I'm, I'm having a bit of fun with you. But um, <laughs> yeah, so you know what? Um, it, Not more it, professional it, in Glasgow City. I, know. <laughs> it, 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 I guess I guess Laura, Cash, Scott, the board, the players would see every challenge as an opportunity. Um, you know, probably there's been other seasons where, you know, the club have been not written off, but, you know, it's like been negative, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they've risen from it and, they've you know, they've came back and achieved. So, um, you know, last year was phenomenal in terms of, you know, another title. The Scottish Cup final was fantastic at Tynecastle in front of a record crowd and, you know, Claire Shine scoring the winner. So we just have to keep um, raising our game. We've probably got a stronger board of volunteers than we've, as, as we've maybe ever had. Um, you know, we're starting to look at how we can scout and network and, you know, maybe improve how we bring people in. So, and the academy at, at the minute is probably in a really healthy place. So, we we just have to keep thinking about new ways, more unique ways, um, based on, you know, our own sort of brand and values proposition that mean that we continue to stay at the front. So, and you know what, we won't probably pay the most in terms of the, the women women's clubs that are rising up. But you know what, um, do, do we want to be like, you know, these clubs were maybe 10, 15 years ago when they came in and just started chucking money around. So, mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, exactly. We're up, we're up. Good. <laughs> if you just keep doing what you're doing, then you um, have a chance. And how much are you looking forward to coming up against Wolfsburg? Albeit it's a bit different. It's not the home and away tie, Germany and Scotland. Um, you have to go to Spain. Yeah, I mean, it'll be difficult. Um, you, you know, Wolfsburg are probably one of the clubs that are the benchmark. I mean, then again, you get to any of the last eight um, and, and it's going to be like that. I mean, you know, even Bronby... I remember when the Bromby name came out the heart, it was the weakest of what was left, but Bromby are not a weak club. Uh, so, you know, it was phenomenal sitting in the Bromby first team stadium that night on, on a pouring wet night where watching the first, you know, watching us take a 2-0 lead back, but which we needed. Um, but yeah, the, when you look at the budgets, and I think Laura know the numbers far better than I, but when you look at the budgets that the club that are left, John, I mean, it's just phenomenal. You're talking, you're talking seven figures um, and major sponsors and stuff like that. And they're all major partner, partners with, you know, men's clubs, PSG, you know, Bayern Munich, Wolfsburg, Arsenal, etc., etc. So we'll look forward to it. We'll embrace it. Scott will have the girls, um, you know, prepared as well as he possibly can be. Um, I'm sure, and you know, whatever it will be, will be. Um, and you know what? It's one leg now, so who knows? Um, you know, a one-legged tie, like a cup final. So see how that goes. This is something else that we're still waiting on because obviously Scott's a manager um, at women's level. You've seen Phil Neville. It's not uncommon for men to be managers of women's team. It's 
very difficult the other way around. In fact, it's seemed difficult getting women into coaching positions. Um, I know Shelley's name's come up a couple of times, um, being linked with other jobs. But alas, I'll put put you in a, a position here. If um, if a coaching position came available at Berwick, and I'm not yep. saying that your manager's going to go anytime soon, but um, how likely are you to consider a woman? Um, with me on the board of directors, um, absolutely equally as much uh, as, as we would consider a male candidate. Um, and I've already had this conversation with the directors at Berwick Rangers. Um, I've probably spent the best part now of um, 18 months with some of the most inspirational female football players I've ever spent time with in my life in terms of football players in general. And there's two or three, which I wouldn't name because it would be unfair, that I would absolutely love to be coaches at my club when they were finished playing if they, if they chose to get involved in coaching. Um, you know, we live in a world now where um, diversity has got to be far more considered than ever before. Um, we're hiring a coach. We're not hiring a female coach. Now, I, I understand that sounds really simple, but um, I think maybe that HR hat that I've got on, John, probably gives me that slightly different view, but um, mm-hmm. I don't buy the fact that the female coaches are male coaches. I think you get the right people for the right job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, sh- we, I'm sure we will be proud, not a publicity stunt, but proud to hire a female coach if they were the right job person for the, for the position. Yeah, and ultimately that comes down. Ultimately, that books it comes down to the end of the day. I mean, Kevin. um, Yeah, no, no. Here's a funny one. Then Um, I was speaking to Yano, a manager, Ian Little. um, I think yesterday, the day before, and and I was talking about City and Glasgow uh, and and Scott Booth, and you know, he 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 actually openly said, "I'd love to come through and and watch some sessions and watch Scott taking sessions and watching what the girls are doing in that." So, I think you'll find most coaches are open-minded. There will be some who are not, Um, but if Good coach, and, 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 encourage him to consider that person for the position if it was the right thing for the club and the right thing for him. So, Yeah, definitely. And it is important to point out that it's got to be the right person for the job. It can't just be yeah. because they're, they're female. As Leanne mentioned, you know, she's happy with having um, a male manager. And Kevin Harper, to be fair, made the point as well. Whilst there's a lack of, um, of, black, of black managers and coaching positions, yeah. um, it should also be a case of they shouldn't get the job because they're black, they should get the job because they're this but there's probably more of them that should have got better jobs yeah. um, potentially. Like Kevin had to start at the bottom. You talk about conscious bias and unconscious bias and it's one of those moments where... That's been a big one recently. Yeah, and you do scratch your head a wee bit, John, and you think, why are people actually consciously or unconsciously thinking that this guy's black or this is a female... I, I don't get it, and maybe that's just me being HR in the corporate world for twenty odd years. But you know, it's the right person for the job. Full stop. Yeah, correct. Completely agree. Um, so we'll move on to the um, quite fast stuff. We've had a great conversation yeah. about um, Berwick and uh, Glasgow. Uh, just before going to that, actually, um, do you see yourself um, still doing the two jobs ne- this time next year? Uh, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't be doing them unless I get told that by someone else. But no, I love it. Um, they're different jobs. They complement each other. Um, I think Laura's probably getting a wee bit fed up with me saying at times, this is what we do at Berwick, we're at work here. You know, but then again, I'm trying to do different things that maybe I don't get to do at City because it's you know, the men's, women's thing and that. So um, 
the thing is, I'm a coach first and foremost. I'm a UEFA B licensed coach, uh, which I'm probably more football side at City than I am at Berwick. I'm probably more business side at Berwick. Excellent. But you've got a nice, a nice mix then and keeps you busy. Uh-huh. Yeah, and there's learnings from both sides for each other. You know, So, for example, we will be setting up a girls' and women's section at Berwick. Uh, we have appointed someone tonight, which will be announced on Monday. I will learn from what I've learned at City and I'll be looking for some help from the guys there. So. Yeah, good stuff. No, I hope that hope that goes well. So yeah, we'll move on. We caught quite fire, but they tend to drag out, so we'll call it slow fire. Um so right. So you've had a few months to sample it. Um what's the what's the, your favourite away day in the Lowland League? Um favourite away day in the Lowland League. I enjoy going to Cumbernauld Colts because I live in Falkirk, Pullman, and I know a lot of the people at the Colts and the facilities in the stadium at Broadwood are fantastic and yeah. also the experience they put on a match day upstairs was brilliant. So I see a real difference in the Colts from when I remember them 5, 10, 15 years ago and a lot of the hard work was done to people like Arthur Stackpole and, and the management committee there. What's so the best pie in the Lone League? Best pie in the Lone League? Apart from Bre- yeah. Berwick, obviously. Yeah, apart from Berwick, uh, I probably had far too many pies in my time anyway. But um, I would probably go for the Colts again. The pies at the Colts were pretty tasty, so... You're certainly good doing an endorsement for them as well. <laughs> um, what's your favourite beer or wine? Uh, favourite beer, uh, Elvis Juice, Brewdog. Uh, wine, um, started drinking rosé again last weekend actually. Drank far too much probably over lockdown like everybody else I suspect. But yeah, a nice wee bottle of rosé, Blossom Hill. Guess so. Who's the best um, player you've seen in the flesh? Best player I've seen in the flesh? Uh, Rivaldo, uh, and ironically, I watched Rivaldo, who was ten yards away from me in the new camp in the front row. I watched him miscontrol a pass right in front of me, but Rivaldo was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a, a tremendous player, oh. absolutely tremendous. Um, in lo- in lockdown, um, people have had more time to watch series and box sets. What's the ones that you've been watching? Ozark, nailed Ozark series one to three. Um, found it really difficult at times, very, very slow, um, but loved it. Uh, and then just watched uh, last week, Afterlife. And ironically, we've just started watching The Sopranos, which has obviously been around for a long, 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 long time, <laughs> but we thought we'd give it a go. So, so far, so good in The Sopranos. Uh, good stuff. Um, what's, what's your favourite moment watching Berwick Rangers ever? Uh, Berwick Rangers, the year... Um, the year we won the league, uh, the dream team when we won one 0 against Abroth at home, uh, that won us the league championship. So, mm-hmm. best year, best 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 moment. Okay, and um, we'll, we'll move on to the showstopper. You've been preparing for this. Um, the best, <laughs> the best eleven in, in the black and gold. You know, you know the the, the only the only reason I pre- prepared for it very quickly was because I heard Kreitz struggling to work out her back four. Uh, so I thought, no way. Um, and actually, ironically, the team I picked, they are names that resonate with me now that I think back to being younger and going to games. So in goal, um, I would go for Gary O'Connor, um, who we signed from Hearts. And he, no, uh, he signed for us on no fewer occasions than I think six times, 289 caps. Um, at right back, Davy Moyes, who was an absolute beast and a legend. Um, you know, he would ask questions after the tackle. Um, at left back, um, Shug McCann, 238 appearances for the club, uh, absolute legend, uh, really, really technically good player. Um, my centre back pairing would be um, Grant McNichol, who likewise we got from Hearts, 296 appearances, mm-hmm. and Brian Marshall, who was originally from Greenlaw, 
an uncompromising centre back. So that would be my pairing. Middle of the park, I'm going to play 4-3-3. So for me, the three in the middle would be Martin Neal, 390 appearances for the club, um, a year older than me. So I've known Martin for a long, long time. Um, I'm going to favour the gaffer, Ian Little, you know, uh, 187 appearances. Um, you know, a, a club man through and through as well. And then in the middle of the park, um, the Rangers legend, Glasgow Rangers legend, Dave Smith, who was our manager, player manager. And from up your way, Aberdeen Way, I believe, um, 180 appearances. And then my front three would be on the left, Peter Davidson, who left Berwick to sign for QPR uh, and returned to Berwick Rangers, 250 caps. On the right-hand side would be um, Stuart Ramirez, uh, who was a local guy from Seattle's, um, 322 appearances. And then up front, the legend who was... Um, the legend whose birthday it was yesterday, I think he was 59, um, Eric Tate, 525 club appearances and the record all-time goal-scoring hero. So. And who's the gaffer? Gaffer would be the one and only Jock Wallace, who was the goalkeeper and manager the year that we beat Rangers in 67. Um, and I don't know if you saw on the record today, um, one of those guys, Russell Craig, um, because of the hard work that's been going on the last few months in the club, he handed back his £100 signing on fee. He um, sent us a cheque for £100. Um, so the record picked it up and they put in a really massive story um, today, which was absolutely phenomenal. So, But Jock Wallace would be the manager. So, That's Fantastic. No, excellent. Listen, thanks very much for your time, Dave. Um, nice to give um, Berwick in Glasgow a bit of profile. Um, and I can just say all the best for both teams um, whenever football gets played. And stay yeah. safe. And I would like to say, absolutely outstanding effort from you doing it yourself tonight. So it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been easy with your two sort of wing wingmen kind of missing as well. So well done. Yeah, <laughs> thanks very much. Um, I'll I'll pull them up for that on Monday. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. Thanks very much. Take care. Cheers. Right.